brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to begin there with the first verse in Ephesians chapter 2. I'll give you just a moment to find it, and then we'll read the first uh, 10 verses, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the, <clears throat> to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he hath, where, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you tonight thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here one more time together to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for each one that you've sent our way tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the, our church family. Thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. Thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have still yet to this day to openly gather here without any kind of fear of persecution. Lord, let us not take that lightly or for granted because there's so many in the world today that do not have the freedom that we have. And Lord, we thank you for each one who sacrificed, each one who fought, each one who bled, each one who died so that we might have this freedom. But Lord, we know ultimately it's a gift from you. So we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you poured out on us. Every breath that we draw is a gift from you. But we thank you most of all tonight for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and give him, Lord, so that we might have life. Have that life eternally and abundantly. And God, we, weren't, we didn't deserve it. We weren't worthy. And we can't do enough to thank you or repay you or to, or, or to earn it any way. But God, you knew that already and you've done it anyways. So Lord, let us be a people that always has praise and glory on our lips for you. Because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward here tonight in the service. Lord, my heart's desire is for you to have your way and your will here tonight. God, that you would just move in a mighty way. So Lord, we just give it all to you. We turn it all over to you, Lord. Asking you to do what only you can do here tonight. 
God, we're praying that if there is any that need to be lifted up, any that need to be encouraged, any that need to be comforted, God, we pray that you would do that tonight. Lord, if there is any here tonight that need a healing touch from you, we know that you're the great physician. We know all true healing comes from you, Lord. So that's what we're asking, Lord, is for you to touch them tonight. God, if there is any here tonight that has let sin creep into their lives, Lord, if there's any here tonight that's maybe drifted away from you, God, if there's any here tonight that maybe doesn't know you tonight, Lord God, or a backslidden or whatever the case may be, they ain't where they ought to be with you. God, I'm praying that you would just pour out that old time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. Lord, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and get things right with you because that is the most important thing, Lord. That, that matters more than anything else, God. So that's what we're asking, Lord. Don't give them any peace until they would get things right with you and Lord let me just ask one more thing of you tonight Lord I need your help I can't preach lest you give it to me so I'm asking Lord that you clear my mind of everything but your message your words your thoughts that you would place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say tonight God I'm asking for your anointing here tonight for your holy unction for a filling of your spirit Lord God Lord my desire is to preach tonight Lord uh, from my spirit to theirs Lord Lord I want them to walk away here knowing that they have heard from you tonight God so Lord I'm just asking help me get out of the way and be the vessel Lord to deliver your message your word tonight preach me one more time here tonight and I'll give you every bit of the glory for it because we love you tonight we worship you we praise your holy name we desire your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven and we ask it all here tonight in the precious and holy name of Jesus amen we look at this passage of scripture tonight and uh uh, we see here the Apostle Paul reminds us of our former state of sin and also of our current state of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I feel like the message I've got tonight is simple. Uh, I, I feel like it's kind of to the point, uh, but it is something that obviously we need to be reminded of here tonight. So let's just look at this. Let's break down this passage of Scripture. Let's just walk our way through it and talk about it as we go here. The first thing that I want you to notice here, okay? I, I'm going to say this two or three different ways as we go along here uh, to try to make my point clear. The first thing I want you to notice in these first three verses is that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Okay? I want you to see that. Uh, I, 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 this passage of Scripture breaks down into three pieces, and I'm going to go through them, right? The first one is about being without Christ, the second one is with Christ, and the third one is in Christ, okay? So in this first three verses, without Christ, we are spiritually dead. So in other words, what are these first three uh, verses telling us? Well, Christian... To you who are saved, whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that's on their way, that you're on your way to heaven. If you were to die today, you know that your sins are under the blood, right? You've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. You know that you're a child of the King and you're on your way to heaven. Then these first three verses are talking about who you were. But if you ain't saved tonight, they're talking about who you are. You understand me? What we were, first thing, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Listen to this. Let me read the first three verses again. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
sins. Wherein in time past she walked according to the courts of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Listen to me. First of all, Christian, it is reminding us who we were, what we come from. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Think about this for just a minute, right? That's the opposite of what the world tells us, right? The world tells us that deep down inside of everybody is good. The Bible tells us that none is good. None are righteous. None seek after God, right? The world tells us that we are basically good. And if we just believe in ourselves, then we can do anything. That's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that we are desperately wicked, right? The Bible says that we are, uh, that we are lost. Uh, the Bible tells us w- w- that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. So let me say here tonight, the truth is, is without Christ, we are not morally good. We are wretched and we are wicked. You don't believe me? Go home tonight. And turn on your television set. You don't believe me? Go home tonight and turn on your television set. Listen to me. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Without Christ, we are morally bankrupt. Without Christ, there's nothing good in us. Our tendency is not to do good. Our tendency is to do wicked. We've come to the point and the place and time where we call good evil and evil good. Tell you for just, and I may come back to this in just a minute. It is amazing. I look at my own life and what God has done with me. I didn't do it. There's no part of Justin who was good outside of Christ. There was no part of me that wanted to do right. I wanted to indulge in my sin and just not get caught. Desperately wicked. Jennifer can attest to this. Before I got saved, I was miserable, wasn't I? But then one day, God done a work on me. Bo, I got no idea why God brought you here tonight, but I've been thinking about this and planning on preaching this. And and listen to me, uh, you know, Wendell was talking, about how good looking Bo was when he come in and I said I've been all over this land and I never seen nothing look like that before (laughs) listen to me I was 27 years old before I got saved 
I come here, I moved my family here where they knew nobody. Now, Jennifer was a Christian. She'd been raised in church. She'd served Christ, and I mean, she'd backslidden and come back for a long time, but I had not. I had never given him my heart. I was always just looking out for me, doing what I wanted to do. Anyways, I, I guess I'm not going to really go into all of it, but I come here, and I had agreed with Jennifer that when we moved here, that I would find a place, that we could find a place to go to church. The only reason I agreed to that was, one, I was moving her away from everybody that she knew. Now, I had some family kind of in there and stuff. I knew a few people. She didn't know nobody. But the deal, the condition that she put on me was we'd find a church and we'd start going. I agreed. My children were one and two years old then. And I agreed because I knew somewhere inside of me, I knew that that was a good idea a good place to raise your children. At least give the air respectability. So I agreed. Now it's a long story and I'll, I'll give you that testimony maybe some other time. Some of you have heard it before. But anyways, after quite a process, right? My flesh pulling me one way, the world pulling me one way, God drawing another way, right? God led us into a church where it wasn't just very long I got saved. Old Bo Parker was a deacon over there then. And it wasn't very long. This was the part I was thinking about, Bo. And I had no idea Bo was going to be here tonight. But I got baptized right down the road here. Right down here where, where, the, where the road crosses Whitstein Creek or Whitstone, whichever is the right way to say it. And an old nasty hole of water that Bo had to run the snake out of before I could even get baptized there. Now, if you'd known me before, you'd know that they, something has happened, something that had changed. Paul's talking about that in this, in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to get to it here in a minute, but listen to me tonight. What he's teaching us here is that there, that we are all dead, in our trespasses and sin. We were disobedient. Instead of following God, we followed Satan. The world, uh, we, instead of following God, we would follow the world. Instead of following the Holy Spirit of God, we would follow our own sinful desires. I challenged you a minute ago, listen to me, look out into the world, that is the world that we live in. Turn on the TV, what do you see being fulfilled there? The lust of the flesh, what does it appeal to? Not the Spirit of God, it appeals to the prince of this world, right? It, it appeals to the things of the world. We were desperately disobedient and the scripture tells us because of that, we were doomed. We were destined to face the wrath of God. That's what it says, right? We're by nature the children of wrath. 
destined to face the wrath of God. We were assured of an eternity in hell. Listen to me. We don't talk about that enough anymore. I, I'm talking about a devil's hell. I'm talking about one that wasn't created for you and I. It was created for Satan and his fallen angels. I'm talking about a place where it tells us uh, that, the, uh, that the worm dieth not, right? Uh, it's a place of, uh, where there's talks about unquenchable thirst, right? It's a place where it talks about uh, outer darkness and uh, utter despair and gnashing of teeth. I'm telling you, it's a place that is so empty, so wicked, so desolate, right? The darkness is so dark that it hurts, right? The flame is never quenched. I'm telling you, it is a place that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. I never forget Danny Ledbetter, the evangelist, preaching revival at Norwood, Missouri, several years ago. Church that we were in was maybe maybe as big as this one or close to it. And they wasn't hardly wasn't very many there that night. He was preaching on I think it's Luke chapter fifteen. Rich man Lazarus. And he said something that has, I've never forgotten and it stuck with me. Because it's true. He said, if God, he just made a line with his hand right up front like this. He said, if God was to split this place open right now and let us peer for just a moment over into the depths of hell, we would see a rich man that had been clothed in purple still crying out for just a drop of water to be touched to his lips and for somebody to go and warn his brothers. He said if God would just give us a peep into the... Just how real... You see, it's like this. It's almost, we like to talk about hell but yet it's almost like we don't believe it's real. Do you see what I'm saying? He, was, he, he went on and he, what he said was, he said if God would let us just look over into the edge of hell for just a moment, he said this place would be full tomorrow night. See, it's like we've lost our grasp on the reality of hell. It's like we don't even realize, because I don't believe for a minute that you sit there and don't care whether or not your children and your grandchildren go and spend an eternity in hell. It's not like that they, you sit there and you don't care that your friends and that your neighbors and nieces and nephews and so on and so forth are headed to hell. It's not like we don't care. It's just like we've become complacent, like we've got the idea there's nothing we can say, nothing that we can do about it, that it's just, you know, it's just what it is, right? We, live, we go through and we live our life like it's not even real. We would deny the atheist's claim that whenever you close your eyes the last time, there's nothing that that's just it. We would deny that. I think everybody here tonight would, would deny that. Nobody would agree with it. But when you leave here, I asked you this morning, I preached about faith this morning. And I asked, I asked you if your faith moved you to do something. Listen to me. I can't help but wonder if we just realized just how real hell was or is, if it might change what we do. We might all of a sudden 
have a burden for lost people again. So here in this first passage, this first part of this passage of Scripture, we see the coming wrath of God. We see, understand that it is worse than anything the world has ever seen before. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Listen to me. When we look at these first few verses, this is a picture of a lost person, right? To begin with, they are dead spiritually. That is, the inner man is dead to spiritual things and cannot respond to them. All lost people are sinners. All sinners are are spiritually dead. And the only difference between, listen to me now, we have ones that come and sit in pews, not just in our church, but in churches all across the land that sit in pews and hold a spot every week, but they're they're lost, they're unsaved, and the only difference between those unsaved church members and the homeless drunk or the drug addict or, or, or the one down there on Skid Row is maybe their state of decay. Sinners are not only dead, they are enslaved by the world and they live for the passions and the pleasures and the fashions of this world. Christian, this is who we were. Lost person, this is who you are. So in this first part, we see that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. But I want you to see, I'm going to read to you the next section of scriptures and I want you to see in this that with Christ, we are spiritually alive. Right? So the, first, so the first part, we've talked about what we were, Christian. And now we're going to talk about what God did. Verse 4. But God. Hang on to that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... Not and excuse me, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It starts out with that phrase, but God. Listen to me, these those two words are some of the best ones. They're some of the greatest ones in the Bible, right? We were lifeless and we were hopeless. We were guilty. God could have allowed us to go on in sin and spend an eternity in a devil's hell. But instead, he chose to save us. But God, right? That's what. There's the separation between uh, who we were and what God has done, right? He gave us life. He's raised us from the spiritual grave of sin, right? And one day he will raise us out of the physical grave. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? Right? We just had Easter here a few weeks ago, right? Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of Christ who is the first fruits. But understand that as sure as his tomb is empty, so one day will our tomb be empty. Glory to God. Just as he is risen and in the right hand of the Father, one day he's coming for us, for his church, for his bride. Hallelujah. And we'll be caught up to meet him in the air forever. 
He gave us life. But more than that, he made us members of Christ. We have been quickened together. That's the word the Bible used, made alive together, quickened together, raised together. We sat together in the heavenly realm. God did this because uh, he is rich in mercy and great in love. I think that's what this section of scripture is talking about here, right? Uh, And and understand for a minute, right? I want to make it clear because we throw around mercy, the words mercy and grace uh, like we do salt and pepper. We know they're good and we want to season everything with them, but sometimes we don't understand. I think some of us don't really understand what it means and you need to know what it means. I tell my children all the time, uh, don't just mindlessly say something, right? Understand what you're saying. So let me give you Uh, the quick definition of mercy and grace mercy is not getting what you do deserve right every one of us is guilty every one of us has sinned we have sinned against God we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and every one of us deserves the wrath of God We deserve punishment for our sins. But God's mercy, when he saves us, God's mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, which is an eternity in a devil's hell. And then grace. Now mercy and grace go together and and we throw them together, but understand it's saying two different things. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve and grace is getting what you do not deserve. Right? It's the grace of God, right? That he has quickened us together with Christ to sit in a heavenly realm with him, right? To be resurrected with him, to be made alive with him, hallelujah. To spend an eternity with him in God's heaven, hallelujah. Glory to God. That is the grace of God giving us. None of us deserve it. We can't do enough to deserve it. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough good works, right? That's not how we get to heaven. The scripture makes it clear to us. But God poured his grace out on us. He has freely given us what we do not deserve. Paul is trying to make that point here. Right? I cannot overemphasize the importance of being born again. Let me talk about that for just a second. I don't want you to get the wrong idea tonight. Christianity is not about being a nicer person. Now, because of the work that God does in you, you will be a nicer person. And if you ain't, maybe you ought to check yourself. But Christianity is not about being a nicer person. Christianity is not about starting a new religious routine. It is what Christianity is about is it's about becoming a new person. A new person in Christ. Think with me about this for just a minute. You remember Nicodemus? Right? If you don't remember Nicodemus, go back to John chapter 3. Start reading there. Follow the references. You'll find him again later on. But anyways, when Nicodemus, who already was an extremely religious person, when Nicodemus came to Jesus with some spiritual questions, Jesus told him something interesting. 
Jesus said, and this is in John chapter 3, he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again. You know, um, the famous, let me tell you a story, the famous evangelist back in the 1700s by the name of, I always get mixed up, I don't know if his name is Whitefield or Whitfield. I'm not sure what the right pronunciation is. But George, I always say Whitfield, George Whitfield. Uh, first great awakening, right? God used uh, Whitfield in a mighty way uh, to, to help stir that up. And Whitfield preached on this very passage that I'm talking about, John chapter 3, thousands of times. That was his thing. That's what God had put on him to preach, and he would preach, you must be born again. One time that he preached this message, there was a man um, who had come with his pockets full of rocks. He'd fill his pockets full of rocks. He'd come with the intention of attacking Whitfield once the sermon was ended. That is how angry that he was about the message that Whitfield was preaching. And so his intention was, was, to, was to stone Whitfield afterwards. He come, of course there was a big crowd that had gathered. His plan was to listen to Whitfield's message and listen to him preach what he felt was, you know, what was really making him so angry. And his intention was, was to stone Whitfield afterwards. After Whitfield had preached an exceptionally powerful message that day, the man made his way up to the preacher. And when he got up there to the front, he started emptying his pockets out. And he told Whitfield, he said, I come here today with my pockets full of rocks, full of stones, intending to break your head after you got done preaching. But your sermon got the better of me and broke my heart. Listen to me. God gave this angry, hostile man life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is still true today that the gospel can melt the ice or harden the clay, right? Praise God that he melts the hearts of even the hardest men and women and gives them new life. That's what Paul is talking about. Listen, the apostle Paul is the one that God used to author this. He is the one that stood there and held the coats when they stoned Stephen to death. Part of salvation is the new birth. And all this happens, not because of what we do, but because of what God does. I I started out to say a while ago that Jennifer can attest to you what a miserable person that I was before I got saved. But praise God, I'm a new creature in Christ. She can tell you how wonderful I am now. I don't know if she'll say that or not. But anyways, I am not who I used to be. Salvation is a free gift that we must accept by faith. Now there's one more part here. I've told you that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. And with Christ, we are made spiritually alive. But in this last verse, it tells us that in Christ, we are God's workmanship. Right? 
So we've talked about who we were. We've talked about what God did. And now I want to talk about what we are now. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which, Bo hath, or which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The result of salvation is that we are his workmanship, the handy work of God, not of ourselves, right? This is not a self-help message. This is not a self-help formula. This isn't get, you know, this self-help book and read this and work on yourself and over time you can make yourself into a better person. Listen to me, church. People try that all the time. I'll, I'll guarantee you fall on your face every time. Sooner or later, right? It doesn't work that way. Uh, this is about the handiwork of God, right? A born-again believer is a masterpiece of God. Now that may seem a bit a little bit extreme, but start to think about it for a minute. Think about what he had to work with, right? I think about my own self and who I was before and what God has done, right? Think about your own self and who you were and what God has brought you from, how God has has changed you, right? That work that he's done, his achievement is all the more remarkable when you think about it that way. It is indeed the master, uh, the masterpiece, right? It is nothing less than a new creation. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hallelujah. And the object of this new creation is found in that phrase, I think, of good works. Well, it is true that we are not saved by good works. It is equally true that we are saved for good works. Hear me. We're not saved by good works, right? It's by grace through faith alone. It's not of ourselves, because if it was, we could boast about it then. We, but, so we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Right? That's what it says right here in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Right? That's that born again, that new man I'm talking about. Unto good works. Right? And the last half of that says, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Right? That's what God ordained. That was his will. Right? Is that he would create, that he would redeem us, that we would be born again. Right? We would be a new creature in Christ. And the reason he done it is for us to go and do these things good works, right? To do the will of God. Listen to me. I heard it put this way one time and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so I just kind of hung on to it. Good works are not the root but the fruit. I don't remember where I heard that but I heard that somewhere once and I thought that was pretty good. Right? Good works is not the root. It's not the cause. It's not what feeds it. It's not the beginning but it is the fruit Right? It's the result, right? If you're truly born again, listen to me tonight, church. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian, right? There's a lot of groups that like to preach that, right? There's a lot of groups that like to, to put that out there, right? The only reason I can think why somebody would want to preach or teach that is make themselves feel better about the own sinful shape that they're in. Listen to me. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. You're either all in or you're all out. You're 
either serving God or you're not, right? You're either, you're either rooted in Christ, right, to producing good fruits, or you're not. You ever seen an apple tree that was worth anything that didn't produce fruit? You ever seen a tomato plant that you put it out there? And I mean, you took care of it. You tilled it. You kept all the weeds plucked around it, right? You cut all them suckers off of it, right? And you took good care of it, and it just grow and grow, you know, the stock of it does, but never produce any fruit? You know what I call that? Worthless. No good. Hey, I had, I had planted, I got the idea... Okay, here's what happened. We had a storm years ago, and there was a... Uh, somebody told me it was a Russian olive tree. I don't know if that's what it was or not, but it's kind of a neat little tree. It had been there a long time, but anyways, it split right in two, and that killed it. It was done. And so I was looking for something to plant in its place, and I just kind of got the... I don't know, I kind of wanted some fruit trees, so I planted a peach tree there. The peach tree was doing... It was actually doing really good. So I decided I wanted to do more than that. I wanted an apple tree, too. So I planted an apple tree, all right? And, and I know they're supposed to pollinate, and, and anyways, it was... I'd done everything that I could for that silly thing. And it would start to produce a little bit of fruit, and then they just fall off. And I mean, that's all it would do, no matter how, you know, year after year after year. I was preaching down at Friendship Church, preaching on a Sunday night down there, and I told them, I said, I'm going to give that stupid tree one more year. I'm going to do everything that I can. I even went over here to the fruit station and talked to them. The guy come out and looked at it. And I told them over there at Friendship, I said, I'm going to give it one more year. I said, if it don't produce at least... One or two good apples. I'm going to get rid of it. It done the same thing again that year. You know what I did? I backed my pickup up there in the backyard. I wrapped a chain around it and wrapped it on the back of my pickup. And I pulled that thing up out of the ground. Throwed it in a brush pile. City come over and hauled it off. God uses a very similar example about us. Listen to me. A good, healthy tree produces good fruit. And one that don't produce fruit is worthless. And the Bible tells us, I think you go to John chapter 10, that it's going to be cut off and cast into the fire. I know Paul talks about that a little bit in the book of Romans also when he talks about the, the olive branch being grafted in. It can be taken out again. Listen to me. God has, we're the workmanship of God, right? That he has produced and ordained to do good works. What does good works mean? Do the will of God. So, what does this passage of Scripture teach us? Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. With Christ, we are made spiritually alive. And in Christ, we are God's workmanship. That, are, that is who we are now. And God has, God has done this so that we would produce 
so that we would do good works, so we would produce fruit, so we would go out and do the will of God. That's why we get, the, we get so caught up in our minds that salvation, right, that everything's about me, right? That we get to thinking it's all about me. Listen to me. If it was all about you, then as soon as you were saved, God would just take you right out of here, right? I mean, because what he has for us in that heavenly realm is way better than what is here. Listen to me. We, the, the very fact if you're saved and sitting here tonight, that is evidence and proof God has got something for you to do. Now, now that we belong to God, God is working on us. I think that's what he's getting at here, right? God is working on us. He is working in, and he is working in us. And there's a reason why he's working on us and he's working in us is so that we might so that he might work through us. Do you understand? It is God working through you, right? It's God working through me. It's God working through you. That is God's desire is to use you, right? To work through you to accomplish his will, to do his good works, right? To spread his gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth, right? To feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, right? All of those things, it is his desire. But primarily and foremost, right? It is the will of God that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? It is his will and his desire to work through you to win the lost to Jesus Christ. So, what does the future hold? Well, we don't know. But we, you know, I mean, we think about it, right? We look at this and we feel like that we live, I feel like we live in the very last days. I don't, I can't see no other way around it. I can't see it any other way, but this is the very last times and days, right? I see the Antichrist coming on the scene here before very long at all. I can't help but feel that way when I look at the Scripture and read the Scripture. But I also understand that probably most generations of Christians, if not every generation of Christian, has felt very similar to that as well. So what does the future hold? Do we have, is tonight the night that the Lord is coming back? Do we have a week? Do we have a month? Do we have a year? Do we have a hundred years? Do we have a thousand years? I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. And, and listen, you don't know either. But we do know the one who holds the future, right? This is the same loving Father that called me, that called you, that saved me, that saved you, right? That marked us out uh, for his wonderful plan, right? He is the same one, right? That is, as I talked about this morning, that's given us that measure of faith. He is the same one. So listen, let, let me just, I don't even know what kind of message this is supposed to be. Let me just say this to you tonight. God's got a plan for every one of us. He's got a blueprint, if you will, for every life. Before we ever even got saved, before I ever made that trip, up that aisle on the Friday night of that revival. Before Bo ever even thought about going down there and running that old snake out of that hole of water. Before any of that. Before I ever got saved. 
God had already mapped out a plan for me. He mapped out one for you too. Our responsibility, what our job is, what we need to do, is we need to find His will for us. We need to seek His will for us, and we need to do it. We need to obey it. My, my fear is, is that many of us, uh, we're content in where we are in Christ and we have no desire to do anything. We have no desire uh, to do the work that God has called us to. No desire to produce the good fruit. Listen to me. To me. I'm imploring you tonight. Seek the will of God. Accept the plan that he has for you, whatever that it might be. Listen to me. Understand that what God has for you, that will deli- that's going to deliver us out of the, the, the hustle and the bustle, the fret and the, the frenzy, right? It's going to ensure that our lives will be uh, to the glory of God, right? That it will maximize our lives to the glory of God, right? And it will ensure that we'll be a blessing to others, right? In, 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 in the greatest reward, right, that God has for us. Listen, God prepares us for His work. Do you know what that's called? That's good works. That's what the Bible's referring to when it says good works here. It's talking about His work. He has prepared us for that, right? He has prepared those good works for us to perform, and then He blesses us when we're obedient and when we do it. And, and I don't, because, Jennifer, you want to come this away, probably to my own shame, because of the mess that the... TV preachers and the health and wealth gospel preachers. and uh, Look, there's a lot of false gospels and false preachers and teachers out there. And because of the, the, the way that they abuse and, and twist things and the mess that they made, I probably don't talk about it enough. The greatest blessing that God does for any of us is the greatest miracle that He does for any of us. And that's when He saves us. That's when, that's when He saves us. But listen to me. If you will serve God, if you'll give him the rest of your days here, which honestly, really, in the whole realm of things, ain't very long. If you'll give God the rest of your days here, I promise you, he will bless you. And that right there is the best possible life you could ever live. No question, no doubt about it. I'll stand right here and tell you uh, without a shadow of a doubt that the plan that God has got for you, the life that he's got in store for you is the best possible life you could ever live the only question tonight is are you going to live that life are you going to accept the will of God for your life and say just like the prophet Isaiah said here am I Lord send me here am I your willing vessel your obedient servant ready to go out and to do your will right to to do the Bible calls those good works to do the work of God here I am God Use me. Here I am. Send me. God, I'm ready, Lord. I'm, I'm ready for it. Look, I, I hesitate to say this because of what all the false prophets have said. But here am I, Lord, ready for you to use me, ready to be blessed again. That's not why we do it. We don't do it for the blessings. But listen to me. It is a blessed life. 
to serve God. It's not a promise of riches, right? It's not a promise that you're going to be rich. It's not a promise that, that you might, you know, uh, suffer and, and, and be persecuted and have to do without things, right? That's why the Apostle Paul says that he has learned to be content in whatever situation that he finds himself in because he was confident that he was doing the will of the Lord, right? That he was doing God's work. That's where we need to strive for. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you. Would you come tonight? You've got a need, you've got a heavy burden. Would you come tonight? God dealing with your heart about your condition. Would you come tonight? There's somebody on your heart, right? Somebody that you need to be praying for. Somebody that you need to go talk to. Somebody that you need to go see, right? Would you come? Would you come tonight and would you pray? Would you pray for them and would you pray for yourself too? That God will give you the strength, that He'll give you the wisdom, that He'll give you the words to go and do what you need to do, what God has called you to do. Whatever the need is here tonight, would you come? Would you come? Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God.